great. We've got the thumbs up. Just, I'm personally just really encouraged. I'll share this with you. Maybe it'll be significant to you. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's just for me. But just um, as I was taking a quick breather, <laughs> I got this text from my mum and she said, happy anniversary. And I was like, this is my anniversary. And she was like, 28 years ago today, I was christened. She was like, I hope you enjoy delivering one of your last preachers before you yourself bring your own child into the world. And I was like, oh. God is so good in those moments, like 28 years ago, my parents were dedicating me to the Lord Jesus and saying, we want her to know you and we want her to live for you. And 28 years later, I'm stood here about to bring my own child into the world and, well, our child into the world. (laughs) (laughs) Took two to tango. And, uh, (laughs) and, uh, you know, and hopefully, you know, who knows in 28 years time, maybe our little one will be preaching his or her, uh, <laughs> how, anyways, I just, I felt very encouraged by that. God is very kind. All right, we are continuing on in our series in Mark's Gospel, and uh, there are many good partnerships out there in the world, aren't there? There are the partnerships of Starsky and Hutch, Cagney and Lacey. Uh, yes, I do know those things. Some people are like, ooh, blast from the past. I have all the box sets of Starsky and Hutch, the originals. And um, Fish and Chips, Ben and Jerry's, James Bond and Q. Now that is a partnership that often people don't put in their minds together, but the reality is James Bond would be dead multiple times if it wasn't for Q, um, let's be honest. But each have their ups and downs, and each of them are iconic partnerships in their own rights. And as we look at uh, the passage in Mark today, we will see a great partnership. We see the partnership between Jesus and his disciples, and um, we also get to have an insight into how we can too also have a great partnership with Jesus. So we're going to get straight stuck into it. Um, If you want a Bible, do you want to raise your hand? Great, we've got. So, uh, Delapo and TK, yes! You can be the Bible monitor. (laughs) I think there is actually only one Bible, so you can give it to a person together. (laughs) Just over there. (laughs) Anyone else for a Bible? Oh, yeah, one at the back, one at the back. (laughs) There we go. More hands. Thank you very much. Great. So we're in Mark chapter 6 and we're verse 30 to 44 and it will come up on the screen. Oh, there it is. It's already on the screen because Audrey is on it. On it. Um, Okay, let's read together. Jesus feeds the 5,000. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. You can hear the tone in their voice. It's already very late. Send the people away so so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. 
They said to him, well, that would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to all the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. So including women and children, probably a lot more. Why don't we pray? Lord God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that week in, week out, we have an opportunity here as we gather together to open it up together, to ask you to speak into our lives, to open our hearts, our minds, our lives, our situations and our circumstances to the sovereignty of your word, to the life-giving, breathing nature of your word. And I pray that as we look at it this morning, that it would come alive in our lives that it would transform, that it would heal, that it would restore, and it would renew. And that we would give glory to your name in doing so. Praise us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at what happens when we partner with Jesus. So firstly, when we partner with Jesus, we partner with his heart. Now, for most of you um, who've been in church, you will know the story of the feeding of the 5,000. It's something that we hear from being the tiniest of little tots all the way through our church journey. Maybe for some of you who've never been in church, you may have heard it through school or something like that. But when we think of the feeding of the 5,000, our, our probably first mind's thought is to go to his provision, is to maybe go to um, the, the, the miraculous nature of this event. But as I was reading it, and that's firstly where my thoughts went to as well, I was quite struck by the nature of rest and his heart, Jesus' heart, in this passage. And when we look at the big picture of what this story is placed in, and that's really important to be looking at, because ultimately, you know, we can take snippets of scripture each week, but we have to see it in the context of what um, was going on uh, all around. We see that Jesus has sent the disciples previously to this off two by two to go preach, to go heal, to go um, cast out demons in his name, and then he calls them back. And so the disciples have come back, they're absolutely shattered, they're tired, but they're full of stories of all of um, the goodness that they've seen in them doing so. And then we see Jesus, um, he feeds the 5,000, and then directly afterwards, he takes the disciples to a place of rest, and there we see Jesus walk on water. So that's kind of the context in which this passage is set in. So Jesus knows at this point in time that the disciples are going to be shattered. He knows that they will be tired. And he recognizes that. So he does suggest that they go off to a place of rest, a place to recoup. However, on the journey, the crowds beat them to it. And Jesus and the disciples are faced in this moment, um, whether they are to engage with the crowd or not. Now, um, for some of you, you may already know that I am a bit of a planner. Um, that may be 
to the least. <laughs> I like to... Uh, I like to have things planned. I like to have my head in the future. I've already written my list of what my maternity bag is going to be looking like. I actually wrote that about five weeks ago. <laughs> I know that's the sort of thing that you're meant to do a couple of weeks before. But anyways, um, I am a big planner. And um, growing up, I wasn't particularly into like the whole wedding thing. Like as a little girl, I wasn't like, oh, this is what my wedding's going to look like in my dress and all of that. I wasn't really into that. But when it came to house, I really was. Like I, from an early age, have... Uh, planned every single room in my dream house, what it would look like, and that over the years has changed, and everything from decor to the feel of the house to plants, all of that sort of thing. And um, when we uh, found out we were pregnant, one of my first things, I know this sounds bizarre, but one of my first things was, oh, I get to plan a nursery. I, get, I was really excited. I was like, oh, <laughs> all of the things that I could do. And um, started to dream and scheme and come up with lots and lots of ideas and at the start of the year crazy or not we decided to put our house on the market (laughs) and uh, see if we could sell before baby came along and uh, we're getting to the point where we're seeing more and more now that actually probably that's not going to be the case that we'll probably be in our current place uh, before the baby arrives and actually when we made that decision that okay we'll still keep it on the market we'll still still you know hopefully get it sold after the baby arrives the first thing that I thought of was, well, hang on a minute, I have planned this nursery. And we'd already agreed that actually we weren't going to do any more decoration in the current place that we're in. We would only decorate once we moved place. But for me, that was a really big deal. And it caught me completely off guard because I had planned, I had like dreamed and schemed for this nursery for such a long time. And I was like, oh, I'm gutted. I'm really gutted that I can't actually do that in preparation for our new baby to arrive. And it took me a while to actually get my head and my heart out of the gutter a little bit in this. I know it sounds silly and I know it might might sound extreme, but I had to really gain perspective in this moment because I was like, well, A, there's more things in the world that I should be, you know, thinking about. But the reality was for me, this thing had changed and my heart had to change with it for the positive. And I think that that can be so true of life that sometimes things just don't go to plan. When our expectations of what the next thing is going to be change, then our heart has to change with it. And in those moments, it is really important to check where our heart is. Do we proceed with change with a healthy heart or with a begrudging one? See, the disciples and Jesus had planned for rest. And we all know what it feels like when we're absolutely shattered and all we've done is we've planned to have rest. But yet the tide has turned and more ministry has come in front of them and they have a choice to make. Are they going to engage with this moment or are they not? But what happens, what the first thing that happens is that Jesus' heart is filled with compassion for those in front of him. And I think that that can be so indicative of life, especially, as I said, when it comes to periods of rest. That when things change around us and when moments of rest shift, we are faced with an opportunity to be Jesus in front of us. In that moment, our heart is going to dictate whether we engage with that or not. But Jesus allowed his heart to be filled with compassion. He allowed himself to see what was in front of him. People without a shepherd, people without a king, people who needed loved and needed truth. And in that moment, his humanity and his sovereignty connected, and he chose to be moved by his heart towards action. 
And our world is a very busy place. We all know that. We see it in the media. We live it out. And I think actually busyness has become an idol for us in our world. We go from thing to thing. It's, it's a done thing. You know, if people say, how are you doing? Oh, I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm keeping myself busy. You might not actually be busy, but you think that's the only thing that you have to say in that moment. I'm busy. I'm busy. It's great. I'm busy. And we fill our lives with stuff all the time. And, um, you know, often it can be the case that we don't eat, sleep or rest properly in our lives. And that's a model that is kind of perpetuated in our society and on the flip side we have the model of rest which also whilst is wrapped up in nicety is very much shut yourself off take some downtime make sure that you isolate yourself from other people and you know cut out everything that isn't going to benefit you and it isn't going to help you and isn't going to restart you and it can become this very selfish model and we've got this kind of comparative busy and really selfish resting that's going out there in the world but yet Jesus is modeling something quite different in this passage that even in the busyness even going from one thing to the other there is a way through that doesn't involve shutting everything off there's a way through by connecting with the father's heart and seeing what the situation in front of us is through the father's eyes Jesus was filled with compassion. His actions moved from a place of a healthy heart. And it does board the question, and I've been really challenged by this recently, is where do we lead from? Where do we lead from a place of heart health? Is our heart in a healthy place? Is it in a place which is connected to the Father's heart? If we were to ask ourselves that question right now, and we were to kind of look at our heart, and see what does it look like? What would it be telling us? What is the health of our heart? But it's also important to look at the context of the whole situation and how Jesus has put patterns in his life leading up until this point. You see, right right through his earthly ministry, he had patterns of rest. He had times where he spent just him and the Father, and he also spent time in community with his disciples and, importantly, them with him. You know, they would have known each other really, really well. They would have known when people get tired, when people get hangry, who was the morning person, who was the evening person, who would have snored. They would have known all of those things, who kind of um, thrived in certain circumstances and who didn't. They would have known each other because they were in community. And they would have known when someone needed to take time out and when someone could have pushed through. Two important things, spending time with the Father and being in community. And I think they are crucial to us connecting and partnering with Jesus in having a healthy heart. That we spend time with the Father and that we are in community, that we are known. See, we can allow our hearts and our minds to be connected with the things of the Father and we can keep ourselves in a healthy rhythm of rest and awareness of how we are doing by being in community and being known. See, Jesus knew that the disciples were tired, but he also knew that the people in front of him needed ministering too. And so he partnered with the Father's heart and then provided rest directly afterwards for the disciples so that they could eat, so that they could sleep, and so that they could recoup. Now what you need to not take away from this point is that rest is negotiable. That's not what I'm saying. 
I'm not saying that we don't need to stop to eat, to sleep, and to recoup. But what I am saying is I feel like God is highlighting the reality of life in this passage. That we are always going to be faced with situations that catch us off guard. That don't factor into our plans. Yet if we are living from a healthy place of rhythms of good rest. And by good rest I don't mean binging on Netflix. That is not good rest. But time with him. Allowing our hearts to be broken for what breaks his. To be seeing through his eyes the people and the situations in front of us. To be filled with compassion. We have an opportunity to partner with that heart and see incredible things brought into action. And so what does that look like for us this morning? What is the health of our hearts? Are we allowing ourselves to partner with God, with his heart, for the people and the situations in front of us? Are we allowing him to shape and help us respond to those moments? And where, for some of us, do we need heart surgery? Do we need a bit of time where actually we're just like, my heart's not in a good place, I need you to come in, Lord. When we partner with Jesus, we partner with his heart. Secondly, When we partner with Jesus, we partner with his mission. I really love the humanity of this passage. I feel like when we read it, you can just feel like you're in that place with the disciples in that moment. And Mark doesn't use a lot of flowery language or detail. He's not that kind of guy. Uh, The rest of the gospel writers are much more like that. But Mark isn't. But yet there's a real sense of being able to picture yourself in that moment. You know, the disciples, they're hungry and they're tired. You can just imagine them being like, (laughs) you know, they've just gone and served their socks off and now there's more things to be done. Jesus is off preaching his socks off and yet the people, you know, it's getting late. It's past people's tea time and there is a real need. People need to be fed. And the disciples, you know, they've offered Jesus this uh, awareness. They're like, Jesus, you're preaching, but people are hungry. We need to feed them. And Jesus offers them another opportunity. He offers them an opportunity to partner in the mission of feeding them. Has anyone seen the new Jumanji film? Yeah. Okay, a few, a few, a few. Has anyone seen the old Jumanji film? Yes, okay, a lot more. So um, the new Jumanji film is basically a rehash of uh, the 90s classic Robin Williams. Um, but with, you know, some more modern twists. Um, but basically the concept of the story is, um, I'll not create any spoilers, um, but the concept of the story is four teens are sucked into a game console and they enter this new world, Jumanji, with new characters, new bodies, all that sort of thing. And they are given the classic task of save the world or die trying. And uh, so they begin on this mission. And there is a scene in the film where the characters kind of um, get their strengths and their weaknesses. And there is a picture here, just for those who are visual. There we go. That is the cast of Jumanji. And um, so we have, each of them have their strengths and their weaknesses. And they press 
a button on themselves and it pops up and uh kevin here that's not his that's his actor name i'm just going to use actor names but kevin um he doesn't have a lot of strength but he has a lot of weaknesses and he's not very happy about it one of his weaknesses is strength <laughs> which he's also not happy about then we've got karen she's got a lot of uh, strength to do with taekwondo and dance fighting and that kind of thing but her weakness is venom and then we've got uh jack black in the middle there and uh, he's a brainiac of the place he knows what to do he knows all the archaeological stuff uh, but his uh weakness is endurance and then we've got the rock or Dwayne Johnson, and uh, he is uh, filled with strengths. Smoldering is one of his strengths, as well as a whole bunch of other things. And then to much of the rest of the cast um, dismay, he has absolutely no weaknesses whatsoever. So they're raging at this, but he's loving life. And the reality is he could probably take on the rest of the film and do every single task ahead of him and not need the rest of his teammates. Um, But that would have been a very boring and quite quick film. And so that's not how it works. But that is the reality for us with our partnership with Jesus. Jesus has no weaknesses. Sorry I linked Jesus to the rock, but I went there. (laughs) Jesus is the ultimate team member. He technically doesn't even need a team. He has no weaknesses and he knows what he needs to do in order to save the world, but yet he chooses to partner with his disciples and also with us in his mission going forward. And the teammates, us, we have all the weaknesses. We are the ones that he has to keep picking up, dusting off um, and setting back on track. Yet in the beauty of his nature and his character, he chooses to partner with us in the mission. And there is a flip side. When we choose to partner with Jesus, we also choose to partner with his mission. It's hand in hand. We see that in the scripture. You know, the disciples say, you know, send the people away. Let them go get their own dinner. Basically, let them go off to Tesco's and come back and sit down and have a picnic. That's what the disciples want to happen. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You give them something to eat you give them something to eat go and see go and see what we have bring it back and then direct the people where to sit jesus is wanting the disciples in that moment to partner with him jesus wants us to partner with him he wants us to roll up our sleeves get our hands dirty and get stuck in and his great commission first to the disciples and then to us that we see in Matthew 28 to see his kingdom extended in all nations to see um, people shared with uh, the good news of Jesus to see disciples made to see people baptized he wanted us to partner with him in that mission and I think often it can be so easy to hear that and be like I know I know it's a classic Matthew 28 great commission I know that that is what we as Christians are meant to do. But if we just think about it for a second, it is huge. It is, it is ridiculous that the creator of heaven and earth, our father who sent his son to die for us in order that we could be forgiven and have freedom and relationship with him, a God that has no weakness, that has no flaw, that he wants to partner with us and that he wants us to be part of his mission, that is huge. And there are people all over the world dying in order to see that mission fulfilled. 
It is a huge mission. And we have that opportunity to partner with him in it. It's not something to be shrugged off. It's not something to think, oh, that's a classic. This is an everyday, living, breathing, God-ordained mission that we get to partner with him in. The disciples were given an opportunity to be part of a miracle in motion. How amazing is that? And we also get an opportunity to partner with Jesus in his mission, whether that's literally to feed people on a Monday night at Lifestyle, to bring dignity, to bring um, love, to bring uh, consolation, to get alongside people, to bring community, whether that's um, feeding somebody on uh, on Saturday at Lunch Club and again being community to those around us. We get to partner with God in his mission, whether that's to serve our youth and to see you know, them go from strength to strength in their school life, in uh, their walk with God, to see gifts of the Spirit um, in their lives, we have an opportunity to partner with his mission. Like we're hearing from Sarah, you know, the holiday club, we have an opportunity to see lots and lots of children have this moment where they can connect with God for the first time. And hopefully, you know, like myself, have this moment where they're dedicated to God, where they have a connection with God and can live out the rest of their lives with God. We have an opportunity to partner in that mission. But we also have the opportunity to partner with him in the everyday things. The sitting on uh, the bus with somebody. I've, you know, somebody in our site has been purposefully sitting on the bus, speaking to somebody that maybe sometimes she doesn't want to do. But she's being obedient and she's seeing things happen. And I think that's the reality. We have an opportunity to partner with uh, Jesus in the mission of our everyday could be somebody at the doctor's surgery. It could be somebody at the till when we have that conversation. You know, how, how's your day going? We have an opportunity to partner with those people. We have an opportunity to partner with Jesus in the mission of raising our children at home. If you're a stay-at-home parent, you have the opportunity to see God at work and the miracle of bringing up your children. That's amazing. That's a huge mission. Maybe as you're managing people at work, you're managing lots of teams We have an opportunity to partner with God's heart for those people right in front of us. We know the highs, we know the lows, we know what's going on in their lives, and we have an opportunity to see the kingdom of God break into those places if we choose to partner with him in that place. We are invited to partner with Jesus in his mission, whether we are young or older, whether we're in full health or not whether we've got money in the bank or whether we're worried about where the next meal is going to come from. The question is, are we willing to accept that partnership? Because every day we have an opportunity to partner with him. And who knows when we say yes, what miracle we could be part of. So, when we partner with Jesus, we partner with his heart, we partner with his mission, and finally, we partner with his provision. I'm just going to grab a drink. always feels awkward as in all situations in life when Jesus calls us to partner with him he doesn't leave us hanging high and dry he meets us he meets the need and he brings his kingdom 
And this passage is a foretaste of the cross and the resurrection. It is a sign of a new creation. Jesus is taking something earthly, something given to him, and he's blessing it. And he's multiplying it out through the breaking in of the kingdom of God. The multiplication of the bread and the fish is not merely just to kind of um, manipulate an earthly thing in order to demonstrate power. If that was the case, then it would probably feel quite cold and calculated to those around him. But here, Jesus is moved with compassion. He sees a need, and in order to meet that need, he brings the power of the kingdom of God to provide for that need. And that's linked with the Father. The Father, a heart of compassion, sending his Son into the world to die on a piece of wood and to be buried in stone, to then rise from the dead through the breaking in of the kingdom of God to provide eternal forgiveness, salvation, and new life for those who choose to follow and partner with Jesus. Kingdom provision is not just power, but it is love. The two go hand in hand. And so when we partner with Jesus, we aren't just partnering with his heart and with his mission, but we are partnering with his provision. They all go hand in hand. They all are inextricably linked. And I was thinking about ways to illustrate this. I was thinking, you know, we don't have to go far. We don't have to go to other countries or necessarily to other churches or to other people. But we can see the miraculous provision in the kingdom breaking in in our own church. When we think about you know, Chuck and Taryn's decision over five years ago with the leadership team to give God their obedience. And in doing so, he broke their heart for Scotland. He broke their heart for the people in this nation. And he gave them a mission to see the church in Scotland revived and thriving and with lots of people kind of doing the kingdom work. And as they gave that back to him, he provided for them. He provided for us As we gave him our obedience, he gave us over £450,000 in order to make six sites happen, three extra services happen, hundreds of people come to know Jesus. When we partner with God, we partner with his provision. And I think even about the people in this room, there are many people in our church family who wouldn't be able to sit here today if it wasn't for God's provision You know, they knew that they had a plan and a purpose in Aberdeen, but circumstances seemed to be shifting that, and yet they gave God their prayers and their heart and their mission, and God provided a house, or he provided a job, or he provided money through the letterbox. When we partner with Jesus, we partner with his provision. And we do hold the tension of the now and the not yet of the kingdom. We do have to bear that in mind. And as Ellie Mumford puts it, to kind of explain that, it's like a white picket fence. You've got the white slat, then you've got the gap. Then you've got the white slat, then you've got the gap. It's like that. You see the kingdom, you don't. You see the kingdom, you don't. That is a tension of living in this time before Jesus comes back. There are moments we see the kingdom break in and there are moments that we don't quite see it break in. However, that doesn't take away from the truth that when we partner in what Jesus is doing with what we see the Father is doing, what we see the Holy Spirit is doing in our communities, in our families, and in our church, that we know his provision will come in one way or another. Sometimes it's not in the way that we expect. But we as a church have an opportunity to call down, to petition for, to contend for the breaking in of the kingdom of God in this place, in our lives, in the lives of those around our communities, our nation, and this world. 
And I was struck again by the story of William Wilberforce. And William Wilberforce was a man who um, pioneered a way to basically abolish the slave industry.